The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Persistent and Nasty Podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free If you follow the link in the description box for casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello everyone, hope you are doing well. Today is a Misha episode, so Misha will, I will be handing over to Misha in a moment for the introduction. But first, I just wanted to remind you all to like and subscribe and even leave us a little review. It really does make all the difference. Please remember to follow us on all social media persistent nasty on twitter persistent and nasty on instagram persistent and nasty facebook and if you want to get in touch with us for any reason please email us at persistent and nasty at gmail.com okay everyone take care here's misha Hello and welcome to another episode of Persistent and Nasty Podcast. It's Misha here and I am thrilled to be introducing today's episode. I spoke to the delightful theatre maker and creative producer Yu Yu Wang, who grew up in China and moved to London to study her Master's in Advanced Theatre Practice at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. So we have a really interesting conversation about how she moved to London and built up her network and found work and has been absolutely taking the industry by storm. We do talk about the Edinburgh Fringe, so if you're feeling blue that you are not in Edinburgh this August, please do have some tissues close at hand because we do get rather wistful as we're reminiscing about our experiences and our times at the festival. So I hope you enjoy this otherwise very positive and exciting episode and grab yourself a cuppa. Oh, you, you! thank you so much for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure to finally have this podcast happen. Oh, like, thank you for having me. This oh. is amazing. <laughs> it was just before everything went crazy with coronavirus and we'd been planning it. And then it was like, hang, hang fire. There is a pandemic happening. Let's just cool our jets, isn't it? Yeah, let's just find out what's happening to us and our life and the, the, the crazy world. We don't know what's happening. I know, it's just madness. Um, so shall we start just by, um, do you want to just tell everyone a bit about yourself, how you've got into being this wonderful theatre maker with your own, with your own collective um, and just give us your whole tale 
the long tail of you <laughs> the the long the short version of a long life story um yeah, I used to play this game like um, tell your life story in four minutes, and it's quite it's quite interesting. Hey, we've um, got so really, you can take as long as you like all the juicy details, any frills. <laughs> uh, that would take me like three hours, maybe. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm Yu Yu. I'm a I'm a theatre maker and creative producer. Um, I'm based in London at the moment, but I'm originally from China. And I got into this. Wow. And I, so I spent like um, most of my lifetime in China before I went to um, all the schools in China and I did my um, undergrad degree in China and just during my undergrad degree, I, yeah, that was like the first time I was exposed to theatre because I met um, someone, I met a director I was working with and like he was amazing and he encouraged me to um, go to a drama school abroad so I went to the Royal Central School of Speech, Speech and Drama and um, to do a master's degree in advanced theatre practice and that course is amazing in terms of like teaching you how to make like experimental pioneering and like something that kind of uh, put you on the edge of theatre and also into interdisciplinary practice so after the, the uh, I, I think it was during my study there, I started my own company, theatre company called Cheeky Chin. <laughs> and yeah, Cheeky Chin. Um, it's a theatre, it's a collective of theatre maker of um, East Asian descent, because I do feel that um, East Asian creatives, especially female and international creatives like me, we don't really have much representation in the British theatre, also coming from a kind of an international like immigrant or migrant, however you call it. I do feel like sometimes that kind of a cultural diversity needs to be addressed in the British theatre and our stories need to be told. So uh, Chika Chin mainly works with international female creatives and we work in a kind of a theatre making environment so not necessarily following that uh, hierarchy of director writer uh, writer director actor producer that kind of um, set roles we kind of do a bit of everything maybe there's also a budget limit control so we need to do a bit of um, everything but that's quite um, yeah I've been working for like two years or so um, I've been fortunate enough to work with so many amazing creatives and um, some of them have come back to their own country now and they sadly they left me but <laughs> I'm still working with new people and that's, that's also the exciting part of this um, emerging stage of my career because you, you got to know many people and you got to just meet many interesting people on the way and also some amazing people who help you and I also do a bit of like um, kind of a I don't know, working towards the mainstream um, route. So I um, I had the privilege to work on the uh, Strange Tales at Travers last year in Scotland. That was amazing. I loved it. And uh, yeah, I had a lovely, lovely creative team. And um, yeah, that was an amazing experience. That was me in a nutshell. Small, small nutshell. <laughs> a beautifully formed nutshell. <laughs> And Thank I feel you. like the nutshell is going to just expand and grow and be amazing. You're going to be like a 
tree of nutshells. Oh, true. A universe of nutshells. A universe of nutshells. Oh, I love that. Um, no, what I was wanting to ask was, you, you've been doing all this work in London and since you've been studying, have you found that the community has been um, like very open to your work? Have you found it easy to get in or did you feel that you needed to fight to um, make your way? That's, that's a really interesting question, actually. I've been thinking about it a lot because um, when I moved to London like four years ago, I didn't really know anyone. Yeah. And that was um, something that maybe most people, maybe some people just don't on, like it's, it's, it was really difficult that you need to make new friends, you need to um, establish new, your new support network, mm-hmm. and all your friends are back home and they have this time difference and they can't be there for you. You're having lots of um, difficulties because I believe like every immigrant when they move to a different country, they encounter a bit of um, language barrier, cultural shock, and like also immigration barriers, like how much money we need to spend on our visa. And I remember the first month when I was in London, I felt headache all the time, because like, just the reason like, I, I need to speak English. And that was like, really annoying. I I, I wasn't used to that. Now I'm okay. Like I even dream in English now, which is strange if you are bilingual. And um, it's it was really difficult to start with, like um, moving to a different country and start a new life and start to um, make new friends and also establish a new professional network if you want to start a career there. And also learning about the system a bit because um, the theatre industry in China is like how it works is different from here in the UK and in London also London is just like highly competitive and there's so many things going on and like people also don't really know who you are when you're just starting out and you need to make an effort to make yourself shine whether it's on like social events or um, just make yourself known in a workshop or talk like introduce yourself to people and that's a that's really a bit of work, and also into kind of I don't know, but I've I've been very lucky. I've met so many like nice, amazing people along the way. And in terms of the community, I think um, I've met some. I met many like East Asian creatives um, in London, and it's it's been amazing because like you need a community just to feel supported, and. Um, also like there's like the same concern that your community care about like in terms of like cultural diversity and all the conversations we've been having about racism especially during the COVID pandemic when especially East Asian or Chinese people get targeted um, for like misplaced blame and you have you have that shared language in your own community and just to kind of feel supported and feel understood. And that's quite important. But I don't know, because I'm, I'm working, I I'm mainly work in um, device theater and also devising is a bit, I don't know, still feels like sort of on the edge of the mainstream, like trying to break in. But maybe this um, in the British theater industry is still mainly like text dominated. 
um, because of the long Shakespeare tradition and also that emphasis on the script. Like new writing is amazing. I love new writing, but sometimes like collab collaborative devised work is sometimes less emphasized in especially like mainstream big venues. Like people won't take a risk on you if you like just approach them with an, an I just like a random idea and you don't have anything solid in place or you don't really have a track record like many established artists. So you have to just move your way towards it. But I've worked with some amazing venues that kind of willing to take a risk on me and that was great. What venues have been, have taken a risk? What have been your like the best venues to work with for that kind of feeling like they trust in your process and what you're going to create? Oh, actually, many venues. I did my first show in um, Blue Elephant Theatre in London, like in Camberwell, and they've been so supportive. And it was like my first show. I literally had no idea what what to do or like who am I as an artist or like what work I'm making. And they they programmed my show, and I had a great time there. And also Derby Theatre. Um, I was the what was it? I was the recipient of uh, the package holiday um, production for the uh, flagship um, festival, Departure Lounge, in two thousand. two years ago, two thousand and eighteen, and it was just such an amazing experience. Like I've, I've never had any connection um, with uh, Derby before, but they've been really supportive, and I spent a lovely time there. And I also have my show programmed in Camden People Theatre. They've been just like, you know, they've been amazing just to support emerging artists in every possible way. And I've done scratch nights in different venues like Theatre Delhi and uh, Battersout Centre and just all that kind of small opportunities like um, feeding in. And also Tamasha Theatre, and they've been amazing. I love them. And um, I was, uh, my company was selected as one of the associate companies. So, and uh, yeah, I'm just like working with them for a very, for, for I think, when did I start? For like nearly a year now. And they've just been, oh, they've been such, such amazing people, just very supportive and um, always there listening, helping, supporting and had a great time. That's amazing. That's so nice to, to, to know that you're being supported because I guess kind of you, I mean, as a white Scottish uh, theatre maker, my privilege is so different and it's, it's, I, I really enjoy I really like to hear other people's perspectives and experiences in the, in, in the industry because I feel like I really worry about it. Like I worry about how um, other people are received. So I'm really thrilled to know that you've been supported. Um, and I mean, it would be ignorant of me to think that you've not also had um, some more difficult experiences. Um, Thank you for saying that. I think it's quite... Because I, I guess for every um, artist, um, kind of just starting out, we need to just fight really hard for every opportunity. And also yeah. in this industry, it's like we are constantly getting rejections and rejections, rejections. Like maybe like out of like the 10 applications you submit, you get one opportunity and that would just like, that would just make your day. But you yeah. just need to constantly fight for that and also get yourself out there and make people make yourself known to people and that's that's really I don't know 
sometimes I just like think about the time the one I just like spent all day writing applications and like you spent so much work on it and then nothing happened yeah it's and crushing yeah it's a cr- crushing it just get you like question yourself like what am I doing like am I am I still talented um do I have, find it at a job or like do I stay in this industry and I think it's just different people have different um privileges because like sometimes I also think about my privilege like or the education I receive maybe I'm less privileged in this country as an immigrant as a woman of color as an East Asian like that but I'm still privileged in some ways also there's so many schemes that support um people of color and yeah it's uh, the terms are changing now but just like um all the ethnic minority groups and um also the like lgbtq and working class artists and also disabled artists and there are many schemes that kind of many theaters that ha- they have the awareness just to support and yeah that's great i think as the industry needs more changes and the change is happening maybe slowly but it's happening yeah and it is you're right it's absolutely vital and it's better late than never but like it needs to be pushed and it needs to be um sustained it can't just be kind of a little bit and then swept under the carpet i um had a wee nosy at your website and um i loved the quote that was on your homepage. Uh, I was wondering if I could read it out and then we can maybe like talk a bit about it because I just I just thought it was amazing. So I find people are sometimes too far down the road of prejudice or preconception instead of really listening to each other's story, listening to the vulnerability of another beating heart. And that's the invisible. Where did that quote come from? Is it, it came is that from you? my first show. Oh, I love it. I read that and I was like, oh. oh my God, see if everybody could just read that quote. I just, if that was like read to everyone at the start of primary school, if it was read to every like child in their like kid's book, I just think that's so important and it just completely nails it. So oh, your, what was your you. first show? Um. So yeah, that, that, that came from, well, actually, when you were when you were saying that you're going to read it out, I was like, "What did I write? <laughs> what did I write there? What did I put on my homepage?" Um, it, it came from the my fir- the first show I've ever did. So I wrote that show. It was a solo performance about. Um, it's called The Invisible. It was on at the Blue Elephant Theatre. It was a story about just me finding my way in London. And lots of, um, I don't know, lots of things about otherness, alienation, immigration, miss my family, miss my friends. And my also my grandma sadly passed away when I was in London, so I couldn't go back oh. to with her. That was a bit sad and That's difficult. really brittle, yeah. And um, yeah, I would just like, when I... It's also some like, I don't know, maybe like discoveries when I came to London, because when I was in China, like everyone was the same. We have, we still have racism in China, but it's a different form of racism. Mm. Is where like mainly like most people's ethnicity is just Chinese and we don't have, we have like international people living in some communities, but it's, 
yeah, but the race, the form of racism was different in China. But when I came here and realized, and sometimes you just need to, like from the moment you, your plane landed on the airport and you need to fill a form and you need to tick a box and say who you are. And I, I find it quite strange to kind of like people ask you to fit into a box, like to say, oh, look at you, uh, you're Chinese. So uh, you must be good at math or something. I'm not really, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> Breaking stereotypes bad. from the very outset. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I don't know, it's because there's so many things. And I feel sometimes like when people look at you and they look at you as a, a Chinese female and they will just like post some certain, not necessarily stereotypes, but maybe something they've learned from media or like other Chinese people they've met. And then they post that perception on you, but that's not necessarily me because I'm, I'm, I'm an... I'm not, I, yeah, I guess I'm kind of sort of different. I had a different journey from most of people and um, also traveling a lot and uh, choosing a sort of a risky career and uh, finding my way in, the, in a foreign country. And yeah, I, I guess I had a different journey, but some people would just approach me and assume I'm another kind of person, but I'm not really that. So also I just find like so many times like all oh, the racism just like happens because maybe the root of racism just comes from a place where like people are afraid of people who look different from you or just like that lack of knowledge, not necessarily ignorance. Sometimes it is ignorance, but sometimes it's like the lack of knowledge that you have, you've never approached by these kind of people before. And also you've never met this kind of people and they, you've never heard their stories or their experiences before. So you don't really know what's happening with them. So if just people, if just everyone just sit down and listen to each other's story and just like do a bit of, um, I don't know, maybe, some kind of um you know as we play in theater like the kind of ice breaking games that just like kind of make us like um understand each other more and then we go into a deeper conversation about what's happening with our life or maybe just like some maybe we come from different cultural educational um social backgrounds but there are similar there are things we share together like we laugh we cry we, we get heartbroken in a, in a relationship or we just miss our family, we love our friends, that kind of thing. If people just sit down, listen, share that, the world would be a just much a better place. Yeah, I was watching The Merchant of Venice um, on TV the other night. It was on the, it was on the telly and I was thrilled. And it was the, um, I think it was, I think it was the RSC version. Um, and it was that, the Shylock speech about did Jews not bleed when you cut them? Do we not feel pain? And I mean, it goes on longer than that, but I'm not going to misquote Shakespeare because that's it. That's, that's the, our Brit, that's the Britain really. Like, no, no, we don't misquote the Shakespeare man. Um, but yeah, it is that, that element of if people just recognized the baseline, we're all human, and we've all had different experiences and we've and and all of those experiences are valid 
And it does affect how we see the world and it affects how we present ourselves, but it doesn't actually affect who we are. Yeah, it, I mean, there's so much in it. And I think it is just important to have those conversations because even just being able to reach one person who might have otherwise felt the fear of the other, which I feel like what is what it is. It's, it all boils down to like a fear of the unknown, a fear of something that's different. Um, so yeah I think having these conversations and making this work is so important and so it's brave as well because it's stuff that's really affected you um, and you've seen firsthand um, so I just think the work you're doing is amazing and I'm so excited about it just oh, thank you I just well I mean I saw Strange Tales and was like yes I mean I know Gridiron's work anyway but it was so different even for Gridiron I thought to be doing um the Christmas show and having such a kind of um they they usually do site specific so it was amazing to see this main stage uh, piece but but even I think that kind of collaboration with Gridiron who probably have an audience who might not otherwise have seen that really Chinese storytelling and the I mean it was just lovely and it was interesting and it was accessible but it also had that kind of pulling back the curtains and showing people another perspective and another life yeah and it was also a very interesting experience because um I absolutely love the company and they I also it's like it just takes a lot of courage to pick up a like to to kind of produce a story which is like far, far away, because in in terms of like the time scale, because the the stories were written like hundreds of years ago, and they adapted into um, the the stage, and then it was also just like for me, I, I sort of I grew up with the stories, and then um, so Strange Tales is um, was originally written by Pu Songling, like hundreds of years ago and it was like um, a collection of um, tales like mainly about like ghosts and gulls and foxes and um, yeah that kind of like ghost story thing and they put on the Christmas show wow <laughs> and uh, yeah that was like I because it's a huge cultural icon in China but it was the first time it was adapted on the British stage and which was also fascinating and and yeah it's just law oh I miss that experience especially like now when theatres are closed and you think about like your your happy memories working on the show and yeah and and Pauline and Ben did so much work on adapting the script and and oh I miss that team so yeah for people who I I don't know what do I start strange tales oh yeah you missed it you missed a real gem it was so lovely and just it I know exactly what you mean about that being a Christmas show but I think that's what made it so exciting that it wasn't because we're so used to seeing the same things at Christmas and actually you do get a little bit at Christmas time you're like oh what should we see Cinderella Snow White Pinocchio oh let me think we've seen them all before where it's having something to go and see at that time of year that's got that because yeah ghost stories are all year round but like 
there is something about that scariness in winter time and that kind mm. of having like the dark nights and the closeness and like it I just thought it worked so well it was lovely um oh, thank you how did you um how did that come about did gridiron get in touch with you had they um did they approach you or had you written to them um actually I I sort of that was a very interesting experience actually you know as we talked about um emerging artists need to constantly be fighting for for jobs so I first I think I first saw the audition notice um for the show but I, I was like no I'm not really acting I I've, I've I'm done with acting I'm not <laughs> acting anymore <laughs> um so and then I realized mm, they might need an assistant director for this so I sort of started googling and then so I I I realized that on Travers um, Theatre's website, they like they post a call out for um, British East Asian assistant director. So I filed an application and I waited for a while because it was like during the fringe. Oh, fringe! Oh. So <laughs> did you go to the fringe? Had you been up to the fringe? Um, yeah, I went to the fringe. I think I was like two times. So. In 2017, I was working for a venue for a month as a technician. And last year, I went there for the Emerging Producers Development Programme for, mm-hmm. for a week. And We can yeah, talk was... about that after. I feel like there's yeah. so much, even just the fringe, that, there's, that oh. is a, a lot to unpack. Sorry, so you were, waiting, you were waiting for your email back. Yeah, I was waiting for my email back. And after the fringe, um, so um, Ben the director came down to London for a for audition and also for interviews. And uh, yeah, we met at uh, South Bank Centre, had a lovely chat and he offered me the job afterwards. I was like, oh my God, I've got a job. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's paid. It's paid, it's important. <laughs> paid. <laughs> it's got paid. The bit, yeah it's paid I've got a bit of money and um and also just kind of get out of London for a bit because you know when you get stuck in one place forever you ugh, just feel that energy ugh, coming down and I've seen Edinburgh during summer but I've never seen Edinburgh during winter so I was like hmm this can be interesting and then I came back to the book and did a bit of research and I came up to Scotland in November last year. And uh, yeah, just just like having a bit of chilly winter. And then, you know, we had like foxes, like fo- stories about foxes, like fox who sort of, like, they spent years kind of uh, trying to be a kind of a super, like, they just became supernatural beings and um, they just do strange things to humans and in the play, also in the original stories. And I did see a few foxes when I was like walking in the night and it was like, wow, wow, that was wow, oh. That's like Foxes. proper magic. Yeah, and you think just like the, the the characters from the story just pop out and they just came to life and they, they're speaking to you maybe in a supernatural way. Because like some people are religious, some people are like spiritual. I don't really know where I sit. I'm not really religious, but I 
sometimes believe in some supernatural force that sort of not necessarily manipulating but influencing our lives yeah. in a sense so when I see that fox I was like oh my god this is yeah. it feels like a chain yeah yeah I'm like that with white feathers <laughs> whenever I see a white feather I'm like yes you're right this is amazing something magical birds magical. dead down the road <laughs> and I'm yeah. like Magic oh my god white happened. feathers <laughs> yeah yeah I think it's important for us to have these things these little and I think as creatives as well I don't understand if why you wouldn't have that sense of magic and that excitement over the possibility of something out with what we see. That is, to me, absolutely what creativity is. It's something that you can imagine or you feel, but it's not necessarily what other people see and it's not necessarily tangible until you work on it and pull something from it. And like that is ideas and creativity. Yeah, definitely. Because I remember in in some of the stories, there are like conversations and discussions about so the the veil between the living and the dead was really thin. Like when like when people die, they they can sort of combat a life quite easily, and people don't really make a fuss about it. And they just like you can just like move between the different worlds, and it was like magic, and. Also, like moments I really love was like when when Chinese people, because like Travis Theatre did an amazing job just to put the Chinese characters on the poster, and I, I when I saw it, I was like, oh, so familiar, and I managed to talk to some like Chinese um, audiences when I was um, like in the theatre, just trying to like you know secretly approach them. Hi, what do you think? <laughs> You're like, were you um, excited to be able to speak your mother tongue as well? Yes, and it's like, oh, you're just like maybe eavesdropping the conversation. <laughs> mm, they're speaking Mandarin. Um, let's, let's just like go to them and do a bit of like market research, you know? And yeah, because like there's a huge uh, Chinese community in Edinburgh, like as I noticed, because there are many like Chinese students studying there or like just Chinese um residents and they they're just like everywhere so I was like people you need to come to see the show because it's it's our story it's like the stories we grow up with and I I approached them as like they, they just really loved it and they really loved to see a magic story like coming from our culture just to be put on stage and also sitting together with um maybe the more traditional type of theatre goers, the middle class, white, elder community, and just sitting together, sharing the story. And it was also a very magic moment for me. I'm so pleased. I just think that um, it's so underappreciated. I think for the white audience member, like the classic theatre audience member, especially in Scotland, our audiences are very, very white in Scotland. Um, and I think that because we always see our own um, skin tone on stage and our own, like we hear our own language, that's just, it's, we just take it for granted and we don't recognise how validating it is to see you, like, yeah, we, we literally couldn't understand. The only um, comparison I've got 
um, Louise, uh, our other persistent and nasty gal, spoke about it on a previous podcast about how um, she'd been to see a piece of theatre that it was very like female story and it was about um, like women's voices. And I think actually it was a TV show that she'd seen. I'm completely mincing this story, but she'd seen a, a TV show that had like this real female representation and that filled her with this pride and that excitement. And, and that's only one element of what it must feel like for an audience. Like, cause you're right. There are so many people who are um, living in Edinburgh who are Chinese and have never had a chance to see that kind of story on stage. And so, yeah. I mean, I've just completely gone in circles to explain the one thing that you've said. It's just, it's so important to show people themselves and show that diversity on stage. It's just, it makes me so excited. I love it. And yeah, I, just I think it maybe it's a maybe it's a two side thing because like for me as an audience member, I, I love hearing different stories. Like also yeah. stories that kind of are similar to my story like about my community but also stories about some like other like maybe vulnerable groups or communities I've never heard much about and I remember I was like watching a show about trans community and I was like totally burst into tears because I I just didn't really know much about their difficulties and then until I saw that show I was like oh my god there's so much I need to do to yeah. just support them and just to just understand them better because like you know there's so much pre pre like like you have your like everyone is prejudiced I think we have our own biases mm -hmm. and because of like maybe media or the people around you they might have a sort of formed opinion but maybe the reality is different and you have that first-hand material and you as an audience member hearing about the stories it's just like fascinating but also as a creative you make stories about yourself or your community and especially that untold stories like the stories of like people have never seen before or never maybe they didn't really know much about that side of your life and then you show it to them that's also sometimes it's dangerous because you just like expose your vulnerability and it just break break your heart in a rehearsal room but it's also I love that when I when I'm like making it or like watching it like just that kind of um, vulnerability of another beating heart as yes. you quote it before. Ah, I love it it's but that's it isn't it it's just seeing exactly and, and you're right you're 100% right in that it's, it's exciting to see yourself represented and it's also exciting to see another perspective and I think that's what is amazing about theatre because you can see another perspective without it being like you didn't know this and you're really bad for not knowing this and it feels like I think there's so many people that will quickly shut off to another opinion because it feels like they're being attacked or criticised whereas theatre quite quite um it can like just give you that education without people putting up their barriers yeah because there are so so many different ways to do it mm. like you can like also different ways to educate people and theatre is definitely a, a great way because for me in my work I often do it in a subtle way I often say oh here's me this is my life 
and you know there's uh, some some dark dirty side you know and we're just <laughs> showing to you and <laughs> yeah and like also some other people that would do it maybe in a more angry manner which is also I think it's very it's also very valuable like because mm-hmm. it's then you yeah it's more about understanding really and just like embracing that diversity whether as an audience member or as a creative just have just watch something or make something with an open heart and open mind yes absolutely so tell me a bit more about your experience with the iconic edinburgh fringe so you started in 2017 doing um was it venue technician you were doing yeah i was working as venues oh Zoo venues, oh, amazing! Yeah, because they're um um they're like very support, like they mainly support emerging artists or and dance companies and also new writing, and I was in my first year of training. I think it was like during the summer holiday. I was I didn't really have much to do, and my rent was coming to an end in London. So I thought. Hmm, why not because uh, you know Edinburgh Fringe has such a big name I was like let me just like maybe work in a fringe for for a month and also also you know that kind of a ah oh, prepare myself yes. for the future yes in case I'm bringing <laughs> something so I know things so I don't just like show up like out of blue oh where am I oh Edinburgh which venue? So it's like you're doing um, your recce, like undercover, like da da da. Just gonna look at this, okay? Yeah. Noted. Little <laughs> yeah, I was doing my market research, to be honest, and also <laughs> like, yeah, just like to know a bit more about the venues, the audience, also the companies, and I went there for for a month, and yeah, it was like really intense because you know when fringe started, it just wow so many things happening you've got like because normally you've just there's just like maybe one show you're working per night but during friends you have like six seven eight shows per day and also all the quick turnarounds during shows and also with that you still manage to see as much as you can because yeah. you know I'm here why don't I see stuff and you also as a venue technician sometimes I get really bored like watching shows over and over again like they were amazing the first few times you watch it but if it's like over and over again you get a bit well it's a month isn't it it's not just like a three-week run which where you know the end whereas I feel like the fringe feels like this period of time that will never end when you're in the middle of it it's like stretching and you're like this is it this is my life forever you go into this kind of um like groundhog day where you're like pressing the buttons and you're like well am I seeing this again (laughs) lights on lights yeah yeah but technicians I think technicians are so underrated in industry and I've seen so many people just like treating technicians really badly and it's just not right and so for me I yeah just from that experience I'm not really doing much technician work recently but like I love my technicians every time I work with them and they've done so much and they know so they're so resourceful and so knowledgeable and they just know so many things and they just deserve respect and love absolutely and I've met so many amazing companies because that year was also the British Council showcase year mm-hmm. and uh, I met some just great great companies and they're just like far far ahead of me 
but they're so nice people. And I managed to see, also see loads of stuff at Summer Hall. Oh, Summer Hall. And uh, yeah, just like, it was the first time I sort of, like, saw, like, see shows from some companies now I still love. And then just the amount of shows you've seen and the, the drinks you have at the pub and the people you meet and the talk, like, the conversations I've been having. That was a lovely month. But still very stressful, you know, yes. pressing buttons and doing stuff and moving props. It's so true. It's one of those things I don't think anyone can understand. People say to me, because I did the exact same as you, and I did that first year of just doing loads of venue teching. Um and learning it and watching um and I I was so stressed and I was so burnt out and people and then I went and did it another year and and people say why are you doing this and I think someone said to me recently oh it's good that the fringe is cancelled this year because you can actually get a rest and I was like tear <laughs> like <Aww>. just <laughs> single tear like yeah I do get to rest but I also don't get to be in that magic and it's exactly everything that you're saying I'm like oh my god the nostalgia already like how like it is just such a magical month of everyone's there it's bustling everyone's creative everyone's excited it's this it is a total complete it's just a completely different world and so I thought it was really funny that people from the outside look in and see me sweating stress and probably the same with you like we're just like running around mad with backpacks like just exhausted but there is nothing better than that and like you would sacrifice a month of like literally like ill health and being really like exhausted in like in the month after just to have that one month of manic magic yeah, but doing Edinburgh is so difficult. I've seen companies like going bankrupt to go to mm. Edinburgh, but not necessarily guaranteed a success. Yeah. Yeah, because that's just a lot, a lot of th- things to learn. And also it's very competitive with, yeah. with more established companies and like how to just attract audience. And that's a, a lot of work. Yeah, oh, but I so missed that. As you said, like just running around with your backpack, and you're really sweaty, <laughs> and you get a sandwich in hand, and you're just like having your sandwich while you're running, and like maybe just like at the edge of like missing a show, and just like begging the front of house people <laughs> to like let me in, please. I've <laughs> and, ran. Yeah, they've smuggled in, and uh, yeah, that was oh, that was beautiful. You're so right, though, about it having that other, um, the other side, which is that companies go bankrupt and people do, like, um, put everything that they've got into it and sometimes it doesn't have the outcome that they want. And I wonder if um, there is a balance, and I don't have any answers and I don't expect you to answer, but I wonder if there is a, a, a fringe that doesn't exploit people and exploit the money side of things but still has that magic or if there is always going to be like the underside like the that yeah that kind of the darker side to that magic that that's really interesting because I've been thinking about it a lot since the first year I worked there Mm -hmm. because you know because for me fringe was supposed to be like it's a great platform for emerging artists to just test new work and try new things 
but as an audience member you want to see good stuff mm -hmm. you don't want to waste your money and then but also it's it's a very tricky thing because recently I've I, I was making a money show a show called money funny Sunday, just talking about the financial difficulties of emerging artists like we need to do part-time jobs to support ourselves while work for free and yeah that's another side of the story anyway yes. back to the fringe <laughs> and I think it's um it's like because when I I remember last year when I was um, at the Fringe um, doing that um, Emerging Producers Development Programme, we had a great workshop about just how to bring a show to the Fringe. And then we got asked the question, like maybe as producers, like just before you bring decide to bring a show to the Fringe, you need to have a clear conversation with the team that what you want from the Fringe. Is it more about touring, like future booking, or is it more about reviews to get future booking, or is it about financial gain? That's that, that is tricky. But then, what, what do you want, or do you want like um, audience appreciation, or do you want like professional exposure, or do you want other things, or maybe just a bit of marketing, like people get to know your work, or yeah, just have to, I think just like teams like wanting to go to Edinburgh needs to have a clear idea what you want and what you want to get out of this experience. Because it can be really expensive, like especially the accommodation during Fringe in Edinburgh, it's just like, it can just go mad. It's insanely expensive and how much sacrifice are you willing to make? Also, it's a month of work, and maybe some people, if they come from London, they still need to pay their rent in London, and they're going to Edinburgh, they're not really working for anything else, they're just doing the show. And how can you, yeah, how can you get the audience in? That's just like, it's a bit, maybe it's a bit of a marketing trick, and also maybe about um, developing audience in also working with venues or different companies or organizations that's a lot of things to learn and um, a lot of producing skills to be to need and also yeah because people have also been talking about the toxic system of the fringe because as you mentioned like the, all the exploitation from different sides of the industry and because as emerging artists sometimes you feel like you're at the bottom of the food chain and you're just like stamped down by people and you can't get, you're just like flyering all day, but you can't get through audiences and your show get cancelled. And that's, I don't know. I think the, the fantasy of the fringe needs to be like broken down because like it's not the best place in the world. And if you want to, if you want to break through in your career, fringe is a good place, but not necessarily the best place. And there are many other opportunities for you as well. I do love Edinburgh. Oh, it's so sad the French just cancelled yeah. You know. know, all the things that people say, today should have been, blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. Today should have been. Oh, when I read that, it just, like, it just makes me so sad. I know, because I was thinking about that. I, I literally, I think I, I was thinking about it yesterday, actually, how this week I would have been going into, like, I would have, like been moving to Edinburgh for the fringe I would have maybe moved like on Friday last last Friday and that would have been it set for the month did you have any shows planned for the fringe were you planning on being at the fringe this year um I was sort of developing a show 
maybe ultimately to the fringe, but you know, pandemic. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, it's the outbreak happened in China at the end of January, and mm-hmm. I was worried since. Oh, like really? it might become a global pandemic yeah because for most Chinese people it started at the end of January not March yeah. so I've been like in this in this survivor mode for like half a year now oh my god that's too much but it's <laughs> interesting much. but it, you know it's interesting that you all had that awareness ahead of time that that was going to happen and still this government didn't make any moves even though there was clearly a lot of people going uh hello this could be really horrifically bad and they're like la 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 make some money la 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 not listening it's yeah because just... I remembered in like just early March I was like it was a very strange time for me because I still needed to work like I still need to go outside mm-hmm. but I was really I was just well aware of the danger because just I, I remember at the end of January I was like constantly like t- like saying to my because it was like also the Chinese New Year and people yeah. just like visit relatives I was so worried I was like mom don't visit any relatives let's just stay at home and and just like mom wear a, a mask when you go outside please oh, and that was in January and things like that's so much like like things have gone back to normal in China now which is mm-hmm. great and mm-hmm. You know, all that normal social life, restaurants, cinemas, like all that stuff. Oh, I miss that. (laughs) And then, yeah, in February and March, I was like, this is going to be so bad. I still need to go outside. I still need Mm -hmm. to work. My work hasn't been cancelled. But I was just talking to my colleagues and then like just, I'm worried about the future like what if the shows got cancelled and what if we have no work for the rest of the year and some people understood but some people like maybe they were not aware of the danger but I was just in this limbo like yeah. what's happening what's happening we're doomed <laughs> what's happening <laughs> which is so interesting because that was the I was in that mode in March I'd literally been up until the last minute. I was ignorantly like, "Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. Um, it it can't, it won't be that bad." Like total ignoramus. I'm like, "What an arsehole!" If I could go back and slap myself, I'd be like, "You need to pull your shit together." Um, but literally, right up until I, I mean, I to be fair, I I um, was about a week ahead of everyone else because. I'd been around, I'd been doing a tour um, around Scotland with one of, one of my hustle jobs. Um, and we'd been doing workshops for actors and filmmakers across Scotland. And um, every workshop I was doing has like, there is a pandemic that's like on its way. And obviously I didn't know it was going to be a pandemic, but I was like, there is like, this virus is on its way. And I am meeting people, like I'm meeting like a hundred people in a room every day in a different city. Like I am single-handedly spreading the coronavirus. And in the end it was fine. And no one who was in any of our workshops was ill. But the whole time I was like, we need to, like, this is terrible. We need to stop. And then I had another week where I was like, I need to go home to my mum's and like, just isolate and so I was isolating from like the 12th of March 
and then obviously everything came came down from the 23rd but I was like okay no we're going home we're just gonna sit tight but it's exactly this as you've described that kind of feeling like you shouldn't be going out and like constantly looking over your shoulder and it's mad that you were in that that headspace two months ahead of everyone else I can't even imagine the stress of that but at the same time it it sounds like it worked in your favor and that you didn't invest too much time and money into trying to pull a show together because you were like devil's advocate what happens if (laughs) I was actually very lucky I just did my show like the week before the lockdown at Camden People Theatre yeah it was it was just like I was really worried like I can't I couldn't cancel the show because it was not in, within my control and then I like my friends like they told me that they couldn't come to the show I like I, I absolutely understood and then just make me more grateful of the people who actually came to my show and I was like thank you for risking your life but then that was just a strange time back in February and March because then so many like Chinese and all East Asian people they were more like cautious because of what happened in China mm-hmm. during the outbreak and um but then there was so much casual racism like I I, I was lucky I, I didn't really personally experience any but so many of my friends got attacked on the street and also on the public transport for wearing a mask just that and now you know face covering is like is made mandatory in so many places and people still like having a fuss about masks and stuff just like think about this year just as such a strange year we are living in like brexit happened pandemic happened and it's still july who knows what's going to happen yeah also the election is going to happen in the united oh states God. let's see what's that going to oh i know like. and then all this all the riots and everything that's happening with the the um black lives matter movement as well it's just it has been one hell of a year and we're only halfway it's like buckle up folks this is the this is the long haul and we do we need to we need to be taking care of our own mental health individually watching our mental health and recognizing that this is it's a marathon not a sprint and we need to be we need to be able to fight for equalities and justice and diversity we need to be able to stand up for human rights fundamentally so we just need to take care of ourselves so that we can do all of that or for people who are um firsthand they need to just recognize that there are more people who are now stepping up to have their backs and it's okay for them to take a bit extra time to process things because I can't yeah I, I, I literally can't imagine how um, traumatizing and triggering uh, everything is right now it's just massive what a massive fucking year yes definitely just as you said just we need to take care of my mental health because like for me personally I've been having ups and downs Mm -hmm. and also it's just such a difficult time for the industry and for so many emerging artists especially like when you like when you sort of think you might have something you might have a sort of a breakthrough this year but then everything has been put on hold and also for more established creatives as well. Maybe they will just like move into the next stage of the career, but then mm-hmm. everything paused and they just lost their opportunity. And 
like also the money thing I thought all the freelancers and mm-hmm. um you no no money no income and it's just like such a difficult year also with all the racism and all the like like all the people who got ill and that's just like I don't know what a year we've been living in but we need to take care of ourselves yeah I feel like that's, that's what we can do we are in control of how we take care of ourselves we're in control of how we take care of other people we're in control of how we speak to other people and how we interact moving forward we're not in control of the bigger things and so although they are massive and they're affecting us and they're there we need to yeah I feel like the only way of like surviving it is just to recognize what you can control and doing your best to hold your little dinghy in and float float out of this (laughs) hold on to your raft I want to go back, um, not to minimise this topic, but just to move away from um, from it for a minute. I want to go back to you as a creative and developing the point where you're at, where you're a creative producer and you're a director and you've obviously explored being a performer as well. How did you um, find your way through all those different layers to realize that what you wanted to be was a theater maker and a creative producer and that was like the perfect fit did it take you a while to get to that or do you think you're you knew ahead that that was where you were going to be I absolutely had no idea what I was going to be (laughs) as everyone else um I guess like so I started like when I was applying for drama school I thought I wanted to be an actor because, you know, that vanity of getting applause on stage. <laughs> Nothing yeah, like, like it. <laughs> nothing like it. And then, I don't know, I just, I guess at one point I get quite frustrated because as an actor, you get picked a lot and you can't control what, you don't really have much, sometimes, especially in a, I don't know, it depends on the, the working environment, but you are sort of speaking other people's words, you're wearing someone else's clothes, and it was not really what I wanted. So during my training at drama school, I sort of um, discovered, oh, there's another way, like making device theatre, you can tell your own stories, you can make a show, like just from a, a scratch of ideas, and just like random things and I just felt that creative freedom so I thought I'll frame myself as a theatre maker but then when I started my company I just realised it's not enough like I I can't I I just I don't have money that's the thing no money (laughs) so I tell people I'm forced into producing I love producing and I I I love my producer friends They've they've been doing amazing work but yeah, the very initial stage that I was forced to producing and I needed to kind of try to fight for money, fight for opportunities, like get your shows programmed, get some funding in place. And that was the bit of um, the admin side of things. But then still gives me the creative freedom to make something. Also during the pandemic, I started writing more you know, because we don't have anything to do. Like, normally my process started in a rehearsal room. We're just, like, with meetings and with friends and my my collaborators. But now, yeah, I spent more time writing, like, by myself and then sending scripts out, like, begging for people to have a read. (laughs) 
it's a it's a different approach but I I do believe that like interdisciplinary is the future and also if and also everyone needs to be a producer maybe just even for yourself no, like no matter you're an actor director writer you still need that bit of like producing skills to um especially early stage of a career and just need to sell yourself out to people yeah you're so you're so right it is I think people don't realize when they're training uh, to be an actor they they don't realize that to be an actor you're also your own manager and you're also your own social media manager and like you're doing all of these like marketing and administrating all of these jobs are within just being an actor and I think it's it's such a shock to the system when you come out and you're like here I am an actor darling I'm ready and then it's like oh god I'm gonna spend so much of my life not being an actor but just um I saw an amazing quote I think it was Papa Isidou and he'd said um there is um we spend our as an actor we spend most of our careers being ready to be an actor and I've probably completely misquoted him and but it was that kind of element of we are always going to be um, working for that moment when we get to be an actor. And so I, I totally am on the same page as you because I kind of I came out, I studied acting and came out and went, this isn't going to work for me. I'm not going to be able to just sit here and wait for it. So I'm just going to have to keep doing things until the point where I can like make myself um, an actor in this or I can like get myself in the door for that because it is you need to be constantly hustling and whatever that hustle is there's so much hustle shaming with like even if your hustle is working in a bar or working in a cafe or working in an office or working in a completely different area entirely whatever like your hustle is is valid because we are always going to be picked up picked up and then dropped that's the, the nature of the game and it, it's disappointing but it's also part of the excitement of it that you never really know what's going to happen is you don't you don't have a career for life it's not like you're you're here till you retire it's always going to be a different job every day every year and that's absolutely and if you can't if you can't like deal with that kind of element of uncertainty then then that's the first hurdle isn't it that yeah because I because I think just in drama school, they don't really teach you how to make money. No, they and don't. Yeah, they don't tell you, like, because then you, you're you sort of having all the, uh, learning all the amazing skills in drama school in your training, and then when you graduate, and was like, so how can I make some money? How can yeah. I pay my rent? How you're can sold I pay the my dream. bills? Yeah, you're sold the dream of this glamour, this exciting lifestyle where you're off jet-setting in all these different plays and TV shows and movies. And it's not the reality. Well, no. for some people, like, it, it can be. And I bet that's nice. But for the most part, and most of us, it's not the reality. We do. We have to be business people. And we have to find money for projects. And we have to convince people that we're a risk worth taking yes definitely <laughs> it's a game it's a game it's just totally like game. yeah be up for it get ready yeah just as you say just get ready and because sometimes it's like also the the cruelty of the industry is also like sometimes you don't get picked it's not because you're not good enough it's just because yeah especially for actors sometimes it's just like someone else is taller than you 
someone else has like a better chemistry with um, the other actor or sometimes it's like the schedule just doesn't work and it's not really about your talent but you need to constantly get ready just to just to hone your skill like hone your craft be up there just be always like up in the game and you're ready you're ready like when there's something for you and you just like you can you can be ready for it otherwise you're just like oh this should this should have been perfect for me yeah. yeah, always be ready. Be up for it. Always ready, and the the reality is you can't affect you can't affect the outcome if if the outcome is negative like that, and it is you've got that kind of bitterness. Well, you can't change that. They've made their decision. You don't know why, so you just need to kind of go on what your own perception is. What a lovely, um, inspiring finale. I feel like we should wrap up because. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your your time and the only there's a question that we um actually we were doing a women of fringe podcasting at last year's fringe and we ended up asking this question to our guests um and so I will pose this to you when you hear the words persistent and nasty what does that make you feel or, or think of or what what kind of response do you have to persistent and nasty and it doesn't need to be positive it can be whatever it is whatever your response is your question reminds me of uh, actually a, a, a video i saw yesterday it was about this annoying male journalist asking um um a lovely female like are you a slut and she said, like, she's done this amazing job saying that, yeah, I am a slut. And you, like, and she was saying that I'm a virgin, but I'm, like, I'm a slut. I define myself. You don't define me. And also slut is not necessarily a, a bad thing. And, like, you are slut. Your PA is slut. Your camera is slut. And she just, like, like gives this amazing attack for this... I think very stupid male journalists like trying to accuse her for like for her for her for her choice of dress. I don't really understand that. And um, yeah, but then just like kind of redefining what slut means and also kind of getting rid of that stereotype. I think that was like the, the impression that when I heard this is nasty because you know nasty can be interpreted as something bad and also when it when it comes to females especially we feel sometimes like people on like people just put some certain things like some nasty things on us and we don't really want that and but what if like we can but we can redefine these terms like you like or the negative words, we can redefine it and, and claim it for ourselves. And we're just like, it's a constant fight because then like, then people need to recognize their privilege. And then there's so, so many battles to fight and for, for females, for just for everyone. I think we have our battles to fight and also we need to redefine some of the terms to claim our space and to make conversations open and just understand each other better, I guess. Yes, I love it. What an amazing answer. 
Well, thank you again, Yu Yu, for joining me and our listeners today. You have been an absolute privilege to talk to. And so for everyone listening, I would just like to say thank you again and stay nasty. She's so nasty.